Good morning. It is good to be here. I was thinking this morning, well, first of all, um, that last song we sang was so packed with theology. Um, and I, I once heard somebody, I don't know who said it, but um, they said, do you believe what you sing? Read what, what some of these um, songs that we sing and say, do I believe what I'm singing? Um, it's good to be here. It's always good to be here. When uh, I went in to take down my MS, I was in the hospital for a month and uh, had no immune system. And the thing I looked forward to the most, besides coming home to my wife and kids, was being at church. Couldn't wait. So important to me. So when I preach, uh, it's an honor for me to be here and to preach, and um, honored to be here with you. Did you pray for the Holy Spirit's presence when you came in? And just welcome the Holy Spirit to be with us? I did. Um, Temptations of Christ. Um, It begins with a sense of timing, and timing's really important, so I just want to give you a short story about the importance of timing. Um, this was in a Christian reader, said, My husband and I have always been fascinated by the Orient and had been praying for God's timing to go there. One morning I told Terry I hadn't been able to sleep the night before from thinking of the Orient, and I wondered when we might be able to climb into the plane and take off. After a pause, Terry pointed out our digital clock, And he said, look, is this the answer to our prayer? (laughs) 747. All right. To the scripture. Then Jesus was led up. Then, the then, you remember what the then is? Just had this baptism, okay? This amazing baptism. Then, so baptism straight to this. Nothing in between. Then, Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Right after an amazing baptism, right after the heavens were opened. In Matthew, it says the heavens were opened. In Mark, it says the heavens were rent the way you rent, that uh, you'd tear cloth, the way the temple curtain, which is like thick. It's not a curtain. It's like a rug, like an oriental rug thick. It's thick, and it was rent. So you can imagine what Jesus must have seen. It must have been incredible. The heavens are rent open. The Holy Spirit comes down like a dove, not a dove. The Holy Spirit is never an, an, an animal. The Holy Spirit only indwells humans but like a dove, came and rested upon Jesus. And then a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. What an incredible baptism, right? Incredible. Then he goes straight out to the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. There was no celebration after baptism, no potato salad, no potluck, no dinner. No going home with the family and the relatives and taking it easy. 
straight out to the wilderness. God's timing is often not our sense of timing, isn't it? I mean, have you ever had those kinds of highs and lows right next to each other? And you think, you know, God, this is really bad timing. This is really not good timing. This is really bad timing. We're just starting to get ahead financially, and then our car breaks down, and our washer goes out, and the water heater goes out. All at the same time, this is really bad timing, God. But do you ever consider that the worst possible time for you has something to do with the leading of the Holy Spirit? That when it doesn't work, and you think, ah, God has led you to that moment, to that place. Jesus doesn't complain. Jesus is led by the Spirit. He doesn't say, why now, Lord? This is the worst possible time. I just want to enjoy the moment when you say to me, you are my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. He follows the the leading of the Spirit. And there's two interesting things about this passage, right, in these verses, about timing that you may not may not think about. That was the first one for Jesus. Baptism to wilderness. Baptism to temptation. The text says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Notice Satan's timing. We've seen God's timing, led by the Spirit, but notice Satan's timing. Why didn't Satan start the temptations at the beginning of the fast? He waited until the end of Jesus' fast. He waited until Jesus was hungry. He could have come earlier, but he didn't. He waited. And I think 1 Peter chapter 5 gives us some insight into that. It says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Be sober and vigilant. The lion always waits for the weak one, looks for the weak one. The lion always looks for the straggling one. You've all seen those nature shows, haven't you? And you know, this one over here that's weak, That's the one the lion's going after. Satan waits 40 days until Jesus is hungry. Really hungry. You can't go much more than 40 days without food. So he waits till Jesus is really hungry. Till Jesus is really tired. 40 days without food, you're going to be tired. You're going to be weak. And Satan is just waiting. the perfect moment the right time and then he comes Satan will always wake, wait for our weak moments not going to come to you when you're strong going to come to you when you're weak he's going to wait until our temper is short he's going to wait until we're tired in our family the two go together Whenever we were short, our kids would say, yeah, you didn't have enough sleep, Dad. It's true. 
Wait till we're short, till we're tired. Wait until we're bored. Because when you get bored, that computer screen goes on. And sometimes good things don't happen at that computer screen. Wait until we're beaten down. And we're going, why now, Lord? Why this time? Why this situation? Why now, God? Wait until we're confused. I just don't know what to do. You know, I just, I just don't know. What should I do? I don't know. And we're not going to Scripture. And we're not praying about it. So he waits until we're lost. Waits until we've neglected prayer and waits until we've uh, neglected Bible reading. Waits until we're at odds with our spouse. Isn't that a great time to come and tempt us? When the marital relationship is just... That's a great time. And Satan will wait it out until you're at your weakest, until you're at most vulnerable place. And the tempter came when Jesus was weak, fasted for 40 days, 40 nights. The tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, you tell. It's in the imperative. You tell, commanding Jesus. I always think it's interesting who commands Jesus. Disciples do, do command Jesus, you know, at the feeding of 5,000. You feed them, Jesus. Get that. Whenever you see the you, the imperative. There's always that you, you, you tell these stones to become loaves of bread. Satan's commanding Jesus. Temptation commands you. Temptation wants to command you. Temptation wants to control you. It wants to bring you into bondage. Temptation says, you have to satisfy this need. Temptation says, You can't live without it. You can't do without it. It commands us. You have to have it. You have to raise your voice to make your point with your wife or your husband. You have to. You have to get mad at your children. You have to. Otherwise, they're not going to hear you. You have to separate from your husband or your wife because you just can't get along. You have to do it. Satan loves to command. You have to. Jesus, you you need food. Jesus, you have got to get food. It's been 40 days, Jesus. You've got to get it. Turn these stones into bread. But notice that Jesus, that Satan also attacks Jesus' relationship with the Father. If you're the Son of God, if you're the Son of God, you have to turn these stones into bread. You have to do it. You have no choice, Jesus. And that's the problem with temptation and us. We don't think we have a choice. We have to do it. In his baptism, God literally told Jesus, voice from heaven, that you are my beloved son with with whom I am well pleased. And Jesus is trusting God's word. He doesn't have to prove it. He doesn't have to test it. Jesus knows who he is. 
He's confident in his relationship with God. And because he doesn't have to prove it, he's not going to give in to physical desire to tempt or test his relationship with his father. So my question for you is, do you know who you are to God? Do you know who you are? Do you know that you are chosen child of God? That you're chosen child of God? Do you know that you're his beloved son? You're his beloved daughter with whom he is well pleased? I'm not saying you're Christ, but God's pleased with you. The tempter wants to say, no, no, it's not true. You've blown it, you sin. You're nothing. Do you know that you're redeemed? Do you know that you're forgiven? Do you know that you're equipped with, to fight every spiritual battle? Do you know that you're an ambassador for Christ? Do you know who you are to God? Because if you do, it puts a whole different spin on temptation, doesn't it? Because you have no room for temptation. I'm a child of God. I'm equipped. I have the word of God. I have the sword of the Spirit. It's the word of God. I have a, the shield of faith. I have the helmet of salvation. I'm equipped. I'm ready. Satan will attack your physical need, but Satan will also attack your relationship with the Lord. You have to know what the Lord says about you. And the only way you're going to get that is if you do what? Study Scripture. Scripture pays, as Dave said earlier, Scripture pays, plays such an important role in these temptations. Jesus answers Satan. With Deuteronomy 8.3, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. That's a direct quote of Scripture. What's so interesting in this is that Satan attacks his divinity. If your the Son of God attacks his divinity. Jesus answers with his humanity. Man shall not live by bread alone. Answers with his humanity. Man shall not live by bread alone. One of the reasons that God was well pleased with Jesus' baptism is because Jesus identified with us by being in the water with us. Now Jesus identifies with us in temptation. Man shall not live by bread alone. Jesus is not going to live by bread alone. We are, we, identifying in, in baptism, but now he's identifying with us in temptation. And aren't we grateful because we are tempted all the time. If we really stop and think about it, we're tempted a lot. And we can deal with temptation in the same way that Jesus deals with temptation. It doesn't, you don't have to be the son of God to deal with temptation. That's why this is so important that Jesus quotes this verse. He doesn't say to Satan, I'm the son of God and I have divine powers and I'm going to command the angels to come down and deal with you, Satan, because you know what? You can't do that. So Jesus takes Deuteronomy 8.3 and he says, "Ah, you can do what I'm doing. You're equipped. 
I'm with you. 1 Corinthians 10.3 says this, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man, which would include Jesus. Divine, fully human, fully divine. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Jesus has just shown us the way of escape, hasn't he? What's the way of escape? Scripture. I would like to think that Jesus chose, I don't know why exactly he chose Deuteronomy 8, but it shows that he's identifying with us in temptation. I would like to think he chose this also because is because God's word is like bread. Two really interesting uh, scriptures about that. The first is Thessalonians 2. 1 Thessalonians 2.13. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in, your, in you believers. That word work, let me read it in Greek. Tell me what it sounds like to you, because we get this word from the Greek word. In Greek, it's pronounced energio. Energy. That's what the word means, energy. The word of God is energy in you believers. It's like a carb which brings your blood sugar up so that you can have physical energy. The word of God is your energy in you. Isn't that interesting? This is what we live by. And then this interesting verse about the word of God from Hebrews. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have been tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come. Have tasted it. That word can also be translated in Greek to eat. We need to consume the word regularly because it's our energy. It's our strength. It's not just something to be known in our brain, to be spouted when you preach, to be used in a Sunday school lesson, all of which are good, but it's our energy. For temptation. It's our energy to do good works. It's our energy. Second temptation. Then the devil took him to the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, you throw yourself down. Again, it's a command. It's a command. You do it. That little finger goes out. You throw yourself down. You have to do it. For it is written, oh, now it's now Satan. Ah, Satan realizes. Jesus can use scripture. I can use scripture. Satan realizes that if he needs to make it spiritual for you, he can make it spiritual for you. He can couch it in spiritual terms as well as anybody. And so Satan now quotes the scripture. He will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands, they will bear you up, 
lest you strike your foot against a stone. A stone. Satan commands Jesus because he wants to take control. You know, when we fall to temptation, what we're doing is we're giving Satan control of our lives. That's what's happening. So I want you to note a couple of things about this temptation. First, this temptation intensifies. It's not in the wilderness in the middle of nowhere. It's in the holy city, which is Jerusalem. It's on the pinnacle of the temple. It's in the place of forgiveness. The temple is the place of forgiveness and sacrifice. The place where God meets his people. The place where God's heart is. The place of worship. Intensifies. It's no longer about bread. It's about life and death. Jump. Jump. Life and death. Uh, this, is, this is a far more serious. So when the temptation gets more serious, expect Satan's promises, lies, to be greater. And expect the consequences to be greater. If Jesus jumps off the temple and God doesn't lift him up, what's going to happen to Jesus? He's going to die. And then guess what? There's a real victory there for Satan, right? Because then the cross then Satan's not defeated on the cross. Jump, Jesus. I'm going to put it in spiritual terms. I'll make this a spiritual issue. God will save you. Yes, God is going to save me, right? He makes it a spiritual issue. What Satan quotes Psalm 91 Psalm 91 says, For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone because he holds fast to me in love. I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. That's the full piece of scripture. Satan's people can use scripture to any extent they want if they take it out of context. If they just give little twists. I put that picture up there because that picture of the little boy and girl and the angel was in my grandmother's house when I was growing up. Always remember that. I always remember that. That's so cool. Because there is a garden angel. And the angels are watching after us. We're going to see something really interesting at the end of this passage. Because the angels do come. But wouldn't it be foolish for me? My grandmother always used to read Psalm 91. The same, the same passage right here. Whenever we left. She lived and my grandma and grandfather lived in Pendleton, which is in eastern Oregon. We lived in Seattle. It's a long drive, right? So my grandmother would always... We'd always sing at the piano, always sing at the piano. And, and we'd always have scripture and then pray. And my grandmother could, as a kid, I always remember, man, how can anybody pray that long? <laughs> but here I am. You know, the angel's watching over me. But do you think just because she read those verses that we could have traveled from Pendleton 
to Seattle at 120 miles an hour and expect to get there safely because God's going to bear us up? Isn't that foolishness? Is, are these verses about foolishness and about behaving foolishly? It's not. And Jesus knows that. You know, there's a really interesting passage in Luke chapter 4, and we, ha- we have to read it, because it says this. When they heard these things, the scribes and the Pharisees, the crowds, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath, and they rose up and drove Jesus, that's who the hymn is, drove Jesus out of town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they can throw him off the cliff. That was the temptation. Of Satan, jump. She said, jump. They're going to throw him off the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. Learn to walk away from danger. Learn to walk away from temptation. Jesus, according to Satan, could let them push him over, had angels. What a sight that would have been to see a guy go off a cliff and angels bear him up. But that's tempting God. There's no scripture that says that, and Jesus knows it. And Satan's playing the game. Learn to walk away from danger and foolishness. No matter what the temptation is. I, I remember my Old Testament professor at Biola when David was tempted by um, Potiphar's wife. Jo- I'm sorry, I said David. Joseph. Joseph in coat of many colors in Genesis. And my, I, I, I don't remember anything else he said in that class. I mean, it was a good class, but this is the one thing I have always remembered. When you face temptation, run. Flee, like Joseph. Just go. That always stayed in my mind. I'd like to think that whenever I was faced with temptation, I ran. I'm sure I succumbed to temptation all the time. I, you know, I can get upset. But flee, temptation. Flee. Jesus then has scripture. Again, he said to, to, Jesus said to Satan, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And this is what I find so interesting about what Jesus does right here. He's quoting scripture, but he uses it at the moment of temptation. Jesus doesn't go, hold on. Let's do an inductive Bible study about this. Hold on. We have to do a word study. Hold on. We have to do a historical background thing on this. And I got to figure out if it's the right thing or the wrong thing to fall. You know what? If you're with your girlfriend and you say, I wonder if we should sleep together. And you're going to do a Bible study on it? You'll never make it to the Bible study. Bad choice. You better have scripture on your lips, you better have scripture in your heart so that at the moment of temptation, you can speak scripture to it 
immediately. And that's what Jesus does here. Psalm 119 verse 11 says this. I have treasured your word in my heart so that I may not sin against you. Do you treasure scripture in your heart so that at the moment of temptation, when you're losing your temper, boom, scripture. So that when you want to put your wife down, boom, scripture. So that when you want to go to a certain place on your computer screen, boom, scripture. It has to be in your heart. It has to be on your lips. And you have to be able to use scripture at the moment of temptation, just like Jesus does. You don't have time to do a Bible study. Third temptation. And the devil took him to a very high mountain. Now, scholars will say, did he really take him to a high mountain or was it just something like in his head? Well, I personally think he really took him. That's me. Yeah, I think he did. I think he took him to a high mountain. I don't have a picture of the devil because I don't like showing the devil in pictures if I can at all avoid it. So you get Jesus just overlooking the city there. And the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Notice the progression of the temptations. The first one's in the wilderness. Wilderness, where's that? Wilderness, it's wilderness. Desert in Israel. Second one is on the pinnacle of the temple. Temple place of God's heart, worship, forgiveness. Third one, very high mountain. Notice the progression of the temptations. Bread to stone, okay. Jump, angels lift you up. Third one, all the kingdoms of the world. Glory. Temptation, all temptation is about glory in some way. It's about where you can go in life. If you, if you step over people, if you step on these people, think of where you can go. Think about what you can get. It's about how to make your life better, how to make your life easier. It's about how to get what you deserve. What you deserve. That makes so much sense, doesn't it? It's about glory. Look, get ahead. Get lifted up. Put other people down. But there's always an if with Satan. Always an if. If you turn this bread to stone, if you, if you jump, just jump. If you fall down and worship me, temptation, temptation is when you submit to another kingdom. Notice our series is on the kingdom of God, right? Matthew, kingdom of God. Here's, here's, here it is. There's two kingdoms. There's only two kingdoms. Kingdom of Satan, which is the present world. Kingdom of God. 
kingdom of God. But now here's what's really interesting. Temptation is always about glory, what you need, how to get ahead. Temptation is never about a cross, is it? Jesus said, if you want to follow me, deny yourself. Pick up your cross and follow me. Very different from glory, isn't it? Crosses are not glorious. Crosses are for crucifixion. And Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you've got to crucify yourself. You've got to crucify the flesh. Paul talks about that. Galatians says, far be it from me to boast in anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. This, the cross is not glory. It is powerful. Bible scholar, New Testament professor, N.T. Wright. And he is, he's, he's a well-known person out there. But N.T. Wright recalls, retells the following story about an archbishop who is hearing confessions of sin from three hardened teenagers in the church. All three boys were trying to make a joke out of it, so they met the archbishop and confessed to a long list of ridiculous and grievous sins. And you can imagine what junior high boys might say in confession as a joke to the archbishop. They hadn't committed any of them. It was all a joke. The archbishop seen through their bad practical joke, played along with the first two who ran out of the church laughing. Again, you can see that with teenage boys. But then he listened carefully to the third prankster. And before he got away, he told the young man, Okay, you have confessed these sins. Now I want you to do something to show your repentance. I want you to walk to the far end of the church. And I want you to look at the picture of Jesus hanging on the cross. And I want you to look into his face and say, you did that all for me, and I don't care that much. I want you to say it three times. And so the boy went up to the front He looked at the picture of Jesus and said, you did that all for me and I don't care that that much. And then he said it again. But the third time, he couldn't say it because he broke down in tears. And here's the best part. And the archbishop telling the story said, the reason that I know that story is because that young man was me. There's something about the cross, something about Jesus dying there for us, which leaps all over the theological discussions and the theoretical discussions, all the possibilities of how to explain it this way and that way, and it grasps us. The cross grasps us, and we are grasped by it, and somehow we have a sense 
that what is being grasped is the love of God for us. What is being grasped is us in the love of God. Jesus is not grasping at glory. When we give in to temptation, we're grasping for some kind of glory. That glory may be one-upsmanship. I'll get the better of this argument, which never happens with Bonnie. I can't win that argument. (laughs) All glory for me is out the window. I definitely married up. But it's one-upmanship. I can, I can do better. I can win this argument. I can be louder. It's glory in some way. Satan wants us to grasp at glory, not the cross. Real quick, a couple more things, and then we'll close out. Notice the if there. If you'll fall down. Satan's temptations are always quid pro quo. Scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. They're always transactional. You know, you, you, you clean my driveway of snow, I'll pay you money. That's what I mean by transactional. They're always transactional. So different from God. God is never transactional. Our prayer life must never be transactional. God, I'll do this if... I have talked, I, a guy I really respected, World War II vet, he had to, he had to have flamethrowers, and as the Japanese came out of the caves, he had to torch them, bother them for a long time. And he had one of those transactional prayers. I don't blame him at all, because it was transformative for him. He didn't have to be transform, transactional, but he said, God, if you just get me out of this war, I will serve you the rest of my life. And he served God faithfully the rest of his life. What you need to know is you don't have to be transactional about it. God will save you. Don't prom- you don't have to promise anything. God will save you. That's God, but not with Satan. Satan's transactional. If you bow down, if Jesus bows down, there's a trade that has to be made. Jesus is going to trade the world, the universe for the world. He's the Lord of the universe. Satan will give him the world. He's going to trade salvation for city. It's never worth the trade. Just ask Judas, who traded the life of Christ for 30 pieces of silver, and then he went out and committed suicide. Always transactional with Satan. Never ends up good. Ever ends up good. When you're tempted, consider what you're trading in that moment. Because despite what it looks like, it will always be a trade for your life and the kingdom of death. Always. So we're closing out here. And Jesus said to him, Oh, now it changes. Now Jesus is going to give the command. This is really interesting. And Jesus said to him, You be gone, Satan. See, Satan didn't follow one of Satan's commands, did he? Satan was pointing at Jesus. Jesus didn't follow it once. But Satan has to listen to Jesus. You be gone, Satan. For it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him alone shall you worship. 
Jesus commands Satan, and Satan must be gone. When we go through the Gospel of Matthew, we're going to see who has to listen to Jesus, who obeys Jesus. Satan will always have to obey Jesus. The demonic world always has to obey Jesus. Nature always obeys Jesus. He calms the storm. He curses a fig tree. He multiplies blows and bread. Nature always has to obey. You know, the only one who does not have to obey Jesus, you know who? You. All of the powers. All of nature. But you don't have to. We're the only ones who can disobey. We're the only ones who can give in to temptation. Listen to Christ. Listen to his word. Learn to walk away from temptation. He uses scripture again at that very moment. And he says, you shall worship the Lord your God. Do you think Jesus meant, and I do, but I'm asking you, you, Satan, shall worship the Lord your God. Jesus is still Lord. Lord of Satan too. Isn't that interesting? God of all the universe, of all creatures, of all beings, of you and me. That's why Satan has to listen to Jesus' command. Has to. Why? Because he's Lord. Has to. C.S. Lewis said, worship is the, uh, it, is, it, is the, uh, it is in the process of, worship, of being worshipped that God communicates his presence to men. That's why worship is so important. In worship, God imparts himself to us. And if you think about it, that's exactly what happens in worship, isn't it? In baptism, we hear God's promises. He's imparting himself to us in baptism. In the Lord's Supper, we are taking in, it's not really the body and blood of Jesus, but it's symbolizing the blood and body of Jesus because Jesus is imparting himself to us. We read the word, which is, which, is, which is his word to us. We're taking it in. We're the body of Christ. We're in his body in worship. We're always, God is always imparting himself to us. And then the last verse. Then the devil left him. Because the devil has to. The devil didn't get bored with Jesus or find out I can't win this. Jesus, Jesus said, be gone, and the spiritual world must obey. That's why the word of God in temptation is so important. Satan has to listen to that word. And said to him, and the devil left him. And behold, angels came or were ministering to him. James 4, 7 says, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. And Jesus has showed us how we are to resist temptation. It's not by willpower. Go get as many self-help books as you want. It's not going to help you. Satan flees because Satan cannot withstand the word of God. 
But then these verses, and the angels were ministering to him. Remember what the second temptation was? Throw yourself off the temple and angels will save you. Well, here are the angels. They're ministering to him. In verse 6 it said, He will command his angels concerning you and, and, and they will now minister to Jesus. Not because Jesus jumped off the, ta- uh, the temple, but because Jesus remained faithful to God's word. That's the promise of Psalm 91. Remain faithful. God will be there. God is watching you. Resisting temptation is not easy. But God will be faithful to us and will minister to us through the power of the Holy Spirit. Count on it. But don't be foolish. So what are my takeaways? These are my takeaways. Weak. When are your weak moments? You should know those. You should know when you're weak. Because when you're weak, what's going to happen? Satan's waiting. He'll wait you out. He'll just wait you out until you're left behind struggling with anger or with frustration. He'll wait you out until you haven't been to church for two or three months because you got want to watch football games or you got some better things to do. He'll wait you out. He'll just wait you out. And it's when you're weak that he will attack. Second, Scripture. Scripture is your energy. It is your... And I don't mean that in a new age kind of way. It is what gives us strength. It is food. It is your defense. It needs to be on your lips and in your heart for the moment of temptation. So begin to prepare for temptation now. Do your Bible studies now. Do your historical backgrounds now. Do your, do your inductive study now, your word studies now, so that in the moment of temptation, boom, it's there on your lips and you're ready. Get into a D group. Go to the women's Bible studies. Don't miss worship. And then finally, three, worship. The Lord responds to our worship. The Lord imparts himself to us in worship. Let us pray. Lord God, I've only just begun to scratch what this passage is all about. It's so deep and so powerful. Help us to learn from Jesus. He's with us in the waters of baptism. He's with us in temptation. And he's shown us. He's shown us ways to defeat Satan and ways to move forward in our lives and our walk with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.